Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Welcome to the Starseed Kitchen Podcast. I'm your host, Chef Whitney Aronoff, founder of Starseed Kitchen and High Vibration Foods. This is your source for information to empower you to be a positive seed for change in your community. Join me for conversation where we learn about food, wellness, and spiritual concepts for high vibration living. I'll be sharing my knowledge and learning with you from experts providing insight into nourishing all the layers of you, the physical, emotional, spiritual, and etheric bodies, so you can thrive in 5D. Let's get started. Liz Riffle is our guest today on the Starseed Kitchen podcast, and she is the owner with her husband of Riffle Farms. Riffle Farms raises grass-fed and finished bison tucked in the hills of Preston County, West Virginia, where the grasses are cool and the snow is heavy. Owner and operators, Liz Riffle is a U.S. Navy Nurse Corps veteran, and her husband, Jimmy, is currently still serving on active duty as a Navy Nurse Corps nurse practitioner. Liz is an animal lover first and foremost, and an agent for natural community. She is committed to honest meat and changing the current meat processing system our nation relies on. Riffle Farms was the first commercial bison operation in the state of West Virginia. They were also the first farm business to field harvest their animals for state certified commercial sale, which is also how Liz's second business, the Honor Con- Honest Carnivore, a West Virginia meat collective, was born. Liz has years of supporting work behind her through the Good Meat Project and the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund. Riffle Farms is part of a growing movement, a movement to facilitate the large-scale regeneration of the world's grasslands and the livelihoods of their inhabitants through holistic management. Regenerative farming and agriculture provides a resilient system to grow food by building soil that will become abundant for man, beast, and all of nature. The Riffle family chose bison with their intact wildness to help teach us to work with mother nature instead of against her. 
Plus they are a fabulous, healthy meat. Well, thank you, Liz. Yeah, thank you for the lovely introduction, Whitney. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, tell me a little bit more about your background and how you trans transitioned out of the military and onto a farm in West Virginia. Yeah, um, that's definitely an interesting story. So I'm actually a registered nurse by trade um, and just recently stepped down from doing that position just because we've been so busy on the farm, which has been great that I no longer have to do that. Um, but yeah, so um, as a nurse, you know, we're healthcare professionals and um, health is, you know, front and center of what we do in our daily lives on a regular basis. And um, you get what you put in type thing. So you are what you eat is very, very true. And so through that process, I myself was trying to eat cleaner and eat better. And um, while we were traveling around the country, you know, we were eating different meats and things like that. And we were actually stationed out West, um, actually in Washington state. Um, and did some traveling while we were out there to, you know, Wyoming and Jackson Hole. We love Jackson Hole. Yeah. Um, and that's where the buffalo still roam. Um, and out there you can get, you know, a bison steak or a bison burger really at any restaurant. And um, which is great. It's good meat, good eating. Um, I think I had my first bison short ribs when I was like 15 or something and loved it since then. But um, so um, as I got older, I started asking some more questions like, well, where are they getting this bison, right? They're not, they're obviously not going out into Yellowstone and shooting these animals and then bringing it to the restaurant. Somebody's raising bison. And so we started asking some questions because we were kind of curious just because Jimmy and I talk a lot about, um, you know, kind of what we wanted to do when I got out of the military and when he transitioned and, you know, looked at retirement and stuff like that. And I grew up with horses personally. So I was always really into, I would, I want to get back to the farm and raise our kids with horses and just, you know, get back to that lifestyle. And he was totally into that. Um, but kind of started thinking that, you know, well, maybe we should put something else inside those fences besides horses, because horses are kind of expensive. <laughs> and um, I was like, okay, no, that would be great because then we could have our own meat and things like that. Anyways, that sounds awesome. And so kind of, you know, just having some of these conversations, we started going down, you know, that, that avenue in regards to, okay, so what are we going to raise? And when we got out to Jackson Hole, we started asking a couple of folks at the meat shops, the local meat shops out there, like, okay, where's everybody getting this bison from? Because obviously it's not from Yellowstone. And the guy's like, yeah, I mean, you can raise them. People ranch them, farm them all over the place. You'd be surprised. It's just a little bit of a different technique. And so, you know, from then Jimmy was like, yeah, let's do that. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I guess we could, we could pull that off. I mean, why not people do it? So gosh, this was, I feel like this was in like 2014 or something like that. And um, so from there, we started asking some questions of ranchers and like, how do you really do this? Is this, is this dangerous? Like these are wild animals. Like, as is, is this just going to cost me a lot of money type thing? And did some ranch visits and things like that. And from there started to kind of hone in on, yeah, we can totally do this. And Jimmy is born and raised in West Virginia and really wanted to go back home to raise a family and have a farm and the cost of living super cheap. And there's not a whole lot of rules and regulations in West Virginia, which is super nice. <laughs> so you're out in the middle of nowhere and nobody really bugs you and it's kind of nice. Um, 
so he's like, well, why don't we raise bison in West Virginia? I was like, okay, I mean, yeah, we could do that. <laughs> and um, there's not going to be a whole lot of competition because nobody else does that out there. Yeah. Um, so that's a, that was kind of a good and a bad thing. Um, but it ended up being in our favor, most definitely. So, so yeah, that's kind of how it kind of un, you know, kind of unwound, but the really big thing why we really focused on the bison is because of the health profile of that meat. You know, once we found out that bison actually has less fat in it than chicken, more protein than salmon, and even more omega-3 fatty acids than grass-fed and finished beef, we were like, yeah, hands down, this would be a wonderful meat source to bring to the West Virginia community and the region around us. Because um, a lot of people are really used to having just beef. So this is, this would really be something different and healthy for the community. Um, so we just ran with it. <laughs> so, so how do you get started when you decide that you want to start a ranch and have animals? So where do you buy bison and right. how do you decide like what bison to buy? Cause I believe there's North American bison and that there's also European bison. Um, are there multiple types of bison? There are, there's definitely a European version, but I want to say that's a great question. I think even the European version nowadays, though, I think those are few and far between. A lot of European nations used to have a European version, and I, I'm pretty sure a lot of them died out. And yeah. now they have the North American version wow. um, just over there. So, but I could be wrong on that. I'd have to do a little bit more research in that. Um, there's a lot actually going on over in Europe in regards to bringing bison back to that area, especially in Russia and places like that. Yeah, I was um, that it was in like Northern Europe. Yes, yeah, because that's where they would have definitely done very, very well. So, um, but there's actually a plains bison and a woods bison are the two different kinds that we see here. And the plains bison is your typical big, I mean, looks like a freaking SUV standing in front of you with this giant head, right? Um, low to the ground, lots of fur and fuzz kind of hanging off them. And then the woods bison, look similar, just is a little bit taller and leaner and their head's not quite as big. And the theory there is that they think the woods bison would have been in places further up north in Canada, where it was, there were more woods that they would have had to travel through. And technically in places like West Virginia. So bison used to be indigenous to our area, actually. Um, but the thought is that it was probably the woods bison that was there just because of the hills and hollers that we have, they would have been able to pick through all of that. Um, so we have both. We do have mostly plains bison because those are the easiest ones to come by typically in the United States, but we do have a handful of woods bison. And so we're kind of just playing around the genetics to see if one does better, you know, on our area than the other. Yeah. So yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. Are they, do you notice like personality difference or eating differences between them or any behavioral differences between the two? No, not yet. Honestly, I guess the only difference I see between a plains bison and a woods bison is, um, we have a plains bull breeder bull and I have a woods breeder bull and my woods breeder bull is a lot more athletic than my plains breeder bull. So mm -hmm. My, my plains breeder bull is big and that's, that's his claim to fame. And most animals don't mess with him because he's so darn big. Um, 
but my woods bison starting to give him a little bit more of a run for his money just because he's so agile because he stands up a little bit taller um so we've actually had to kind of watch it <laughs> so we'll see if they they need to keep getting along or else they're gonna have to be separated so so how many bison do you guys have right now yeah, so we have only about 35 right now, um, which is a pretty small herd comparatively to a lot of ranchers and other farmers. Um, so it kind of ebbs and flows though throughout the year. We've had as many as 45 to 48 animals. And then this year we're really working hard to expand the herd to about 60 to 65. So we've been working with um, our local Savory Institute hub to do a regenerative you know, farm plan and all that holistic management and planning and feel very comfortable now um, as we've kind of reworked our grazing system that we can actually have a better carrying capacity, um, which is what the bison would have done normally. They would have been in very, very large herds yeah. and really just grazed everything down and then left it and then came back to it months later, you know, potentially. So that's kind of what we're trying to mimic. And um, yeah, we'll get there. Hopefully we'll be at that 60 range, probably like end of the summer. So, um, but that's another question you'd asked is where do you get the bison from, right? Yeah. So, um, so if they're not born on your property, um, you do have to get them shipped in. And um, you'd be surprised actually how many bison operations are um, on the East Coast. So we do get some animals from Ohio. Um, we've gotten some from Kentucky. I've definitely had shipments come in from Canada though. Um, that's where I got a lot of those woods bison. So um, really, if you can trailer it, um, usually it's about 13 hours or so they can stay on a trailer. Um, if you can find somebody that has animals, you can get them from about that distance. So. so I find that so interesting how the animals actually get to a farm. My mm -hmm. aunt is an executive with the United States Postal Office. And so <laughs> animals are shipped in the, in the mail sometimes. And yeah. she's a big mm -hmm. animal lover. So she'll send me photos. Sometimes people will be shipping, you know, chickens when they're yes. before they've hatched, but they'll hatch before they make it to their destination. So the US yeah. office can't continue shipping them. And they have to find a farm or a local animal sanctuary where they have to donate the baby chicks because <laughs> they aren't able to make it to their destination through the mail. Oh goodness. Yeah, I can imagine. And that's the season right now too. Everyone's getting all their chicks. So is I can it? only imagine. Yeah. Is, is there a season when you get the bison or? Not really. I mean, you can yeah. really get them any time of year. And technically I think you can get chicks in the mail just about any time of year. You want it to be warm enough though, because, or not too hot. So, um, but springtime is when a lot of people get their new chicks, you know, that they either use for laying hens or for meat birds. So yeah. Got it. Um, so yeah. you had briefly mentioned um, about your bison and working with a group to help the regenerative farming on your lamb so you, you can hold, you know, 60 bison. Um, right. What do you have to prepare in order to be able to bring on more bison? Yeah, totally. Um, so it's really the fencing, honestly. Um, for us, that is, that's, that's the big piece because it's not temporary fencing because this is a big animal. And um, Fencing is really only a deterrent anyways. It's not really, it's not really going to keep them in if they don't want to stay in. So we don't use like um, poly wire or electric fencing that, you know, you can just take up and put down and things like that. My bull would run right through that. So 
I've heard of some operations that do use that successfully, but you got to do that when they're calves and very, very young and respect a fence. When they're six, eight years old, they're going to look at that fence and just walk right through it. So, um, so a big piece of it is putting up the, you know, the big posts and the five foot high wire and the multi strands and a couple of our wires are hot, you know, they are electrified. Um, so, so we're in the process right now of, um, we don't have a huge property either. Like we only have one about 64 acres. So it's not one of those things where you have to have hundreds or thousands of acres to have all these animals to do some great things for the environment. You really just have to be pretty particular and understand, you know, the soil cycle and, um, how those animals interact with it to be able to get a biggest, the biggest thing for your buck there. So, um, so on 64 acres, I'm going to have like 65 animals. Um, and, um, what we do is we just make those pastures about like two to three acres a piece instead of what we have right now, anywhere from like four to 12 acres a piece. So just to rotate them better throughout that grass to mimic what they would have done in nature. Originally, they would just stay in one space for a day or so, really eat everything. And then they would move on and not come back for quite some time. So, so yeah, so we've done a lot of, you know, a lot of work from that perspective, because that's not my background. My background is nursing, like I said, (laughs) so it's been like this amazing, you know, you know, exchange of knowledge and this journey myself that I've been going through learning about, um, that regenerative piece, which, which I feel like I, I know, and I see pieces of that, but being able to verbalize it Mm -hmm. and make it work for my my piece of property specifically is kind of where, you know, I wanted to dial all that in. So, yeah, I agree. When you learn about regenerative farming, it makes sense. You understand it. It's very intuitive, Mm -hmm. but then to have to regurgitate it and try to explain it to another person or then apply it to your land, um, it becomes suddenly more complicated and you just need like guidance to do it. (laughs) Even though it almost seems like it's this life skill that we should have all grown up um, being taught because it's mm-hmm. just basically understanding the seasons that we live in and understanding our land and knowing, um, being able to see the signs of what it needs and being able to exactly. help give it what it needs. Yeah, it's an ancient wisdom that I feel like we've kind of lost in our techie, you know, savvy worlds of ourselves. Um, and it's, it's just, it's like putting those pieces together. Like, like we are part of this world and this, you know, biodiversity and the seasons affect us just as much as they do those animals that are out there too, you know? And so when you start to really observe that and, you know, make all those connections, it just, it's this beautiful, you know, mindset and space where, you know, all that is working together and you start to pick up on those little nuances that mother nature is just trying to tell you um, that something's not quite jiving and maybe you make a, you know, a little adjustment, whether it's for yourself or whether it's for your your animals and, um, and then, you know, things go abundantly from there, which is kind of cool. Now, did the bison help build up the topsoil? So you have more rich soil on your land? Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. So, um, the bison and, and ruminants in general are made, they've got those hooves that it's like, it's kind of like two, I don't know what the term is that I'm thinking of right now. So, but, um, there's like two, pieces to that hook. So it actually looks kind of like what you would do in gardening, you know, with a spade and you would like press the earth down, put a seed in, you know, and, and release it. So the bison just do that for you. 
And then they're kind of like a fertilizing machine as well, mm -hmm. right? So they're pressing the ground in, eating the grass and moving it all around and depositing the seeds. And then they walk away and then they poop and they fertilize it for you. And then that's it. It's like, mm -hmm. it's like this beautiful machine that mother nature just created. And this is just how this cycle works. You just have to let it do its thing. Yeah. So, and, and that's the thing. That. Yeah. 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 So that's been a huge lesson for me is a lesson in patience. You know, mother nature has her own pace and um, you got to go with that, you know, like learning, learning to be as patient as mother nature is, is really tough in our uh, day and time, I feel like. So that was that, that was a really tough lesson for me, but um, uh, well worth it. <laughs> so is there an area on the farm where you keep the bison for a season and then you move them to the next spot or how often are you rotating them to a different part of your, your land? Yeah. So we, we try and rotate, um, in the winter, it's a little bit different just because it's so cold. So we only rotate between a few pastures in the winter, just cause we put a lot of hay down. Um, so, but, but that's still part of the regenerative piece is because those pastures we choose to use in the winter are typically pastures that really need some re like rehab, um, really briars and woods. And we're trying to reclaim some of that space because the theory there too is that the majority of our landscape probably was not nearly as heavily wooded as we think it is like closed canopy wooded really? they think it was more savannah-esque where mm -hmm. trees big trees big huge oaks that can flourish in the sunlight and then grasslands and trees everywhere but enough so each tree gets enough sunlight Mm -hmm. And it's not like that closed canopy, mm -hmm. you know, they, they actually think there were very few places where there truly would have been a closed canopy forest. So hmm. we are kind of helping, helping that out. Right. So we're just, we put the bison in certain places throughout the winter where we put hay in and get out some of those briars and some of those smaller trees or trees that just aren't as healthy um, to allow some of that sunlight to come in, not only to grow grass, but to grow some of these trees bigger and um, help them have a more robust life as well. So, um, and then once the grass grows, we rotate them every couple of days, you know, throughout the pasture, but then they won't see the same pasture for like 40 or 45 days or so. Got so, it. Yeah. So how did you find people in your community to help teach you about your land and how to restore it? Yeah. Um, so I, to be honest with you, it wasn't really directly in my community. That was the hard part because nobody really does that where we are, which is kind of a bummer. Yeah. Um, it's starting to be more talked about, but we're in an area where there's a lot of old school farmers, right? Okay. So, and a lot of them look at our perspective, kind of like, why would you do that? And we're like, well, why would you do that? <laughs> so, um, but there's more and more younger, you know, farmers coming up who want to make a big difference in the land and do a lot of that regenerative stuff. So we are seeing more of that. Um, but I had to kind of reach out all over the nation. You know, I had consultants that were out West and luckily I found a local savory hub that's based in Virginia, which is pretty darn close. That's only three hours from us. Um, so that ended up being a wonderful, um, relationship that we built there and that was very local <laughs> so that was so exciting so yeah what are the um, farmers doing that currently live around you what are they yeah <laughs> um so I mean all kinds of things right so yeah. but um just keeping cows on the same pasture all year and like it's 
a hundred acres and they just have, you know, 20 cows and they're just on the same pasture all the time, you know, and then they have to feed a lot of hay or grain and, you know, wonder why season to season, they don't get much grass or um, just, yeah, there's just not a, there's just a lot of old school thought, you know, put into it and they're overgrazing those pastures is what it is. And so those pastures can never fully recover. Mm. Um, Yeah. And then they're having to have, you know, less and less animals on that, on that pasture. They think that's the answer. Um, So it's just, it's just a lot of that old school mentality with, um, you know, they think they need more space. Um, but you just have to utilize your space better as what it is. You don't really need more acreage. So, interesting. Well, that's a good reflection that you can apply to wherever you live. Totally. You don't necessarily need more space. You just need to be more mindful about the space that you have and use it in like a new efficient way. Yes. Yeah. You can do so much with five acres. You know, I mean, I recommend, I don't recommend bison for five acres, but (laughs) (laughs) there's lots of other animals you can put, you know, out and a lot of other things you can do with five acres that, that people just don't realize. They think that you have to have a lot of land to farm or get into any type of agricultural business. And that's just not true. So, and it's, it's coming, you know, a lot of new and beginning farmers, you know, are obviously on board with that. And so you see more and more of that, um, coming out there. So. Yeah. That's good to know for us dreamers that want to be joining the party. um, Totally. Five acres to start. Hi, I'm chef Whitney Aronoff. As a personal chef, I created custom organic spices for my clients. These blends are of the highest quality with no added sugar, MSG, caking agents, or any junk. I want you to have the same access to good quality seasonings which is why I've launched my line of organic spice blends. High Vibration Foods by Starseed Kitchen is my collection of chef-crafted organic spice blends made with only good-for-you ingredients. I use organic source spices, ancient mineral-rich Redmond Real Salt, prepare the blends listening to Kundalini mantra music, then charge the jars with the quartz Giza crystals for a true high-vibration experience. You can now purchase my most requested blend, 11 Magic Herbs and Spices, on StarseedKitchen.com. Use code STARSEED for 10% off your purchase. Can't wait for you to enjoy. So I wanted to ask you a little bit more about bison meat and bison from a culinary perspective, because Mm -hmm. it's something that I've been eating and working with for a very long time, but all I ever see out here in California and at grocery stores is ground bison and very occasionally a bison steak. Is there a reason Mm -hmm. why that's all we ever see? Like, where's the rest of the bison going? Yeah, totally. Um, So usually to restaurants is what it is. because That's what those restaurants want. They want the steaks. Um, And on an animal, typically on an animal, about 40% of it is ground. So there's a lot of that to go around. Got it. Um, The steaks though, man, mm, there's only, gosh, if I had to think about a 1200 pound animal steak wise, 20, maybe 40 pounds of steaks on that animal. So depending on, you know, what, what you get cut, but um, yeah, so there's not a lot of steaks and that's probably why is because those restaurants are typically buying them up um, to serve to folks because they're also able to make the margin probably a little bit easier yeah. on that as well. Cause bison is a little more expensive. Um, it is a little tougher of an animal to raise. Um, 
from the aspect of infrastructure, I, I should say, yeah. because to be honest with you, my daily, my daily life is pretty hands-off, which is really nice. Um, but the infrastructure investment is definitely a lot more than what you would typically do with beef. Um, so, so yeah, so definitely commands, you know, a little bit of a higher price tag too. Um, but gosh, we, we sell and get as much meat off of an animal as humanly possible. And we were, have a beautiful relationship with our local butcher and they're always looking at more ways to get more stuff out of this bison so that we can sell it or eat it or whatever we want to do with it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we use as many of the organs as possible. We do the tongue, we do the heart, we do liver, we do kidneys. Um, we do Rocky mountain oysters. We do oxtail. Um, we do head cheese. Um, I shouldn't say head cheese. I should say sweet breads. So the yeah. sweet breads are actually like the cheek and stuff. Um, the head cheese is technically the brain, which we do not get that back just because that is how the animal is put down. So our animal is shot directly into the head. Um, so you don't want the brain up that, but, um, but animals that you either can knock them out or just slice, you know, a crowded artery, you can use the brains. Um, that's typically like pigs. Um, it's really hard to do something like that with a cow. Um, but there are some cultures that do do that. Um, so, so yeah, so we really try hard to, to, to utilize as much as we can. And I know there's even some more stuff that I could utilize, like the lungs and the trachea. Um, I know those are really, um, big right now for dog health food, you know, in the dog market and things like yeah. that. So, so we're looking into that. I don't, I don't know of many people who eat lung and trachea, <laughs> um, I, I mean, people do all kinds of stuff and you can definitely put a lot of stuff into like a big stew. Mm -hmm. Um, and it comes out beautifully actually, and has an amazing amount of nutrients. And then we also do the, the bones obviously too. So, um, we try very hard to get as many bones back as we humanly possibly can, um, for the bone broth aspect. And then also, I mean, we've got three farm dogs. We feed them all bison all the time. Oh, <laughs> so Yes, they are very lucky dogs. Um, so yeah, we even try as much as possible if I can to get the hooves back because the dogs really love the hooves as well. Um, and that's, that's really good for their digestive system. So I just don't want to waste the animal. So whether it's for human consumption or for pet consumption, not a problem. Um, there are some places as well for bison, they actually grind up the bone and then they put it into dog food as well. There's a big oh, market wow. for that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. So a lot of the processors out West, actually, that's what a lot of them do with their bones is there's a pretty decent market, um, for that ground up bone that they actually put into dog food. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, there's just, there's so much to an animal. Um, mm -hmm. and we want to offer all of that to people. Um, and we actually, we actually sell, I mean, we sell most of it. I can't keep liver in stock is one of those things. No um, depending on the year or the time of the year heart, you know, sometimes I keep that in stock, but a lot of people like to make heart stew. So that's really popular in really? the cooler months. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, tongue tacos are super popular. So I can't keep the tongue in stock either. I've been so. hearing about that and I I'm yeah. really wanting to try that. Yes. Yeah. I hear that's really good too. We're going to have a chef come out and do a cooking demonstration with us next month, actually to do tongue tacos. Cause I'm kind of curious. So yeah, I hear that's really good. Yeah. I've been wanting to try that with heart. Does heart need to be fresh 
or can you use a frozen heart? Yeah, you can use a frozen heart, most definitely. Okay. Yep, most and a, definitely. And a soup is one of the best ways to prepare it? Uh, yeah, probably one of the easiest ways, honestly. Yeah, it, um, gosh, the heart, you think about that, like that's the most important muscle in the body. So yeah. talk about nutrients, that's where they all go first. Um, so yeah, so that's a really great way to, um, to utilize the heart because the heart is, um, it's, it's pretty potent. You know, it's got a lot because there's a lot of nutrients in it. So it's got a lot of flavor. I wouldn't say like, um, liver has that, um, metallic taste to it just because it's a filter in the body. Um, but it, but it's got a lot, it's got a lot of flavor, like a lot of density to it. The heart's the same way. So if you put it in a stew, mm-hmm. you know, that has a lot of other things in it, it just lends itself to, to a nice blending. And so that's how folks prefer to eat it. Um, but I mean, I've heard of lots of people just cooking it up on the grill too. And yeah, you, know, you can, you can really do anything with meat as long as it's cooked appropriately, like cooked through. <laughs> I mean, yes. yeah. I mean, I guess you could eat it rare too, but, um, and some people eat raw liver, you know, it yeah. just is, you can technically, you can technically eat it that way. So have you, yeah. um, have you guys done any organ meat sausages? We have not. And, um, I, I've had a couple of people ask about that and I, yeah. I do want to explore that more. Um, cause I think that would be a great way to get some flavor and make it super easy for folks to cook. Sausage is so popular. Mm-hmm. Um, we're working with our butcher right now to get a good sausage blend. Um, just because bison is so lean I know. that typically they have to put a fat back into it. And, um, our bison are not grain fed, right? They're all grass finished. So our bison are very lean, which is how they're meant to be. So sometimes they get away with it with bison that are grain finished because they do get a, a pretty decent fat cap on there. And then they can take that fat and put it into brats or hot dogs or things like that. Um, but we don't have that. So we're, we're trying to play around with something that actually tastes good for a sausage. And we've talked about the organ meat and we may go there. Um, Typically what butchers want to do is they want to use pork fat in with the bison. Hmm. And I've been, I've been such a, (laughs) I've been so picky about that, that I was like, I don't know. I'm such a purist sometimes and I get my own way. I know. But, um, I mean, if it's good, obviously we've got lovely pig farmers all around us and things like that. And, um, we could definitely use pig fat from there, but I, uh, I don't know. I hesitate to do that. Like a lot of jerky on the market right now is cut with pig fat and it's actually the first ingredient (laughs) instead of the bison, it's pig fat and then bison. Um, and I don't love that. You know, I just feel like it's a little misleading, you know, everyone's like, Oh, this bison tastes so good. And you're like, well, it's cause it's basically pig fat. (laughs) So, um, which is another thing too, kind of leads me to is, um, in the grocery store, sometimes, you get bison that is um, 80-20, which is amazing to me because I don't even know how they can put so much fat back into bison to get it to be that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of those big processors do that because they think the consumer is not smart enough to cook it appropriately. And so they keep the fat in there or they put more fat into it. And I feel like that's also very misleading. You know, bison is not a fatty meat like that. You know, when you have an 80-20 burger, that's a pretty fatty burger, you know, a beef burger. And so if you're having 80-20 bison, why would you even buy it? So, um, so it's just one of those things. Labels are super important when you're, if you're not buying directly from the farmer and know exactly what you're getting. Those labels, gosh, you've got to look at them so close. 
So yeah. still not everything has to be there. So just I like know. we were chatting about earlier, I really think that we're going to be moving into a time where the only way you can trust the proteins that you're purchasing is buying it direct from the farm. And I think we're all totally. going to be investing in more freezer space. Um, <laughs> just because yeah. yeah, labels aren't clear. And I think more of us want to know mm -hmm. where our meat is actually coming from and knowing that what's actually put into the package is what they say it is. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to read an ingredients list sometimes, especially in sausage, you know, you'd yes. be surprised what they put in those sausages. Um, so yeah, it really is. It really comes down to knowing who your farmer is, you know, knowing where that meat comes from. And I agree that does take a little bit of extra work originally. Um, but once you get into the habit of doing that and going to the farmer's market or just getting on that farmer's list, mm -hmm. you're like, oh yeah. Okay. Or you go and you buy in bulk, right? So you just, you plan a little bit ahead. You have an extra deep freezer and you buy pork for you know, the first three months of the year and you're good to go. And then you don't have to think about it again. Um, and then, you know, it's good, clean pork and, um, you can do that with bison. You can do that with beef. And I highly recommend people do that. I think that's, I think that's really the way to go. Cause the grocery stores, it's tough, but I get it. You know, we're busy people. You know, my, my whole thing always is my rules, 80, 20, you know, 80% 80 of the time I'm locked in, you know, 20% of the time, I get it. I'm busy. I've got a two-year-old running around. Sometimes you just got to go down the grocery store and you got to get some eggs. Like, I don't know. I completely, so. I completely agree. Um, yeah. so how do you guys sell your bison? Is it 100% online? Do you guys also do farmer's markets? Um, how are people able to purchase what's coming from your farm? Yeah. So we actually do mostly farmer's market sales and mm -hmm. off of the farm. So we've got a farm store that um, we're actually revamping this year. We've got a new farm store, so that's exciting. Um, we definitely offer online sales. Like if people want to pre-purchase something and then I can bring it to them, um, we do deliver um, orders of $100 or more within like our radius, we do that. Um, so it's definitely primarily at the farmer's markets where I'm you know, talking face-to-face -to, -face to people every day about you know, our products and how to cook it and things like that, which, um, to be honest with you, I prefer, I prefer it that way. People around yeah. you are very, very lucky. Are you at, um, farmer's <laughs> markets in West Virginia or do you guys go into Maryland too? Yeah. So actually, um, we, we've kind of been all over the place. Gosh, um, this year we're going to actually, we're like right on the border of West Virginia and Maryland. So we're going to do a farmer's market in Maryland this year. Um, and we're going to just continue to do the farm store in West Virginia. And then we actually do a bunch of farmer's markets. I shouldn't say a bunch. We do two farmer's markets down in Virginia beach. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So we have kind of a dual presence just because my husband's still active duty and that's where he's stationed. So I was like, well, heck, if I'm going to come over here to see you, I might as well bring meat with me and do a market. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm going to see you, but I'm going to spend four hours at the market, you know? So um, so we do that and that's been really good because there's no bison in Virginia beach. Right. So that's really easy. You know, it's definitely an, a niche market that, um, it's pretty convenient for us. So, um, so yeah, so we've just, we, you know, we've been playing around with different things over the years, honestly, you know, different, a bunch of different things. Have you so. ever gone to the DuPont circle farmer's market in Washington, DC? I have personally, um, because we were stationed there, um, a few years ago and, um, 
yes, that's a wonderful farmer's market, but I have not, I have not been a vendor there per se. <laughs> so yeah, um, we thought about doing that and, you know, we were kind of back and forth about it. It's a little bit of a, a little travel time for us. So yeah. we, um, we've been talking to some more restaurants in the DC area. So we'll kind of see how that works out this year, but, um, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's lots of opportunity out there, you know, for farmers to get into these markets, especially in these metropolitan areas. You know, I know sometimes it's a pain in the butt to do, but if you can get in there and go set up on a Wednesday or a Friday or a Saturday and, you know, get all these people in these high rise buildings to come to you for your meat. Yeah. Easy sell. Easy. You know, like I'm one farmer, like I can only have so much product. Right. And so if I bring it to a place where there's just like so many people, um, that's easy. Yeah. Well, I mean, myself and my clients would stock up on your bike. Like we would buy a a whole bison and break it down. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. That would go pretty fast. Do you have any families that ever do that, that go in on a whole bison? Like people do. Um, I haven't had anybody do a whole bison. We do quarter bison. Okay. Um, so yeah. So people occasionally, you know, a few times a year we'll have somebody come and, you know, get a quarter animal to stock up their freezers with. So yeah, that's becoming more and more popular. I see that happening more and more every year we do this. Okay. So yeah. Good to know. Mm-hmm. I might wrangle some people yeah. together. I know. That would be what so we cool. Can do. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, yeah. I'll be sending my brother from Washington, DC to drive out to your farm stand. Ah, there you go. Nice. He's so close. I know. I know. Yeah. Well, yeah. you guys, everyone that lives in your area is so lucky because they have access to people like you and farmers mm-hmm. that are doing some sort of regenerative farming or holistic agriculture on their land and doing something a little bit different and really offering what um, a lot of us that are down this rabbit hole that are really trying to find good food to nourish our body. Uh, there's so much mm-hmm. more access, I feel like, where you are on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's because of your your weather or your green rolling hills or what it is, but I feel like there's so many more people quietly doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that? Or do you still feel I like could, you guys are- I could see that. Amazing? I mean, I could definitely see that there's a lot more small farmers kind of in, in, in our area. Um, uh, California, especially, right? Like that's, that's a really big place traditionally, I guess I shouldn't say traditionally, but over the past few decades, you know, it's been easier for larger corporations to get out there and have lots of land, irrigate it. And then they push those small farmers out, right? Yes. Um, the which is unfortunate to support. Yeah. So, things. so I mean, California has been set up to feed the entire nation instead of just feed Californians, you know? So, so that is an interesting thing, but I do see that transitioning. You'd be surprised how many little farmers are kind of tucked in every little place and, and to find those farmers, you just got to find your farmer's markets. Mm -hmm. And then you start, and then once you find a few farmer's markets, you like, you start finding a few more farmers and then you find a few more and then a few more (laughs) and you're like, oh my gosh, all these people are just tucked in all these little places. Um, so I do think it's becoming a lot more popular. It's, um, it's just, you know, they're all small farmers. And so there's only so much marketing they can do (laughs) from that aspect. So, yeah. So for people that aren't able to get to your farm stand or to a farmer's market where you're at, what do you suggest people look for when they're trying to buy bison? Totally. Um, grass fed and finished is my first thing. 
Um, but that's really hard to do if you go into a grocery store, honestly, yeah. even whole foods doesn't have grass finished bison. Yeah. Um, so to be honest with you, there's a couple companies that I love and adore and are, um, you know, companies that I would like to be when I grow up type thing. Um, bison folks that have helped me, you know, start our ranch. Um, a big one is wild idea bison. Um, that was, uh, that's a beautiful ranch they have out in the Dakotas and they field harvest their animals and they are truly transparent about their regenerative practices. And they, they are now big enough. Um, Dan O'Brien has owned that company for a long time and has been doing this for decades now, I think since the eighties, um, they ship all over the place actually. So they have the capacity to do that and they do that very well. Um, and then North star bison up in Wisconsin actually does a beautiful job with that as well. Marielle Hewitt is, um, one of the ladies, you know, at the helm up there. And, um, you know, I always used to be like, I, I want to be you when I grew up <laughs> basically, I mean, we're roughly the same age, but, um, like they have a beautiful operation up there in Wisconsin, all grass fed, grass finished and field harvested and have really done it, done it to scale and done it very, very well and have stayed committed to those you know, transparent, you know, regenerative, um, practices, even while scaling themselves up. So they've got a nice operation too. And they also ship all over the place. And so I recommend people get their bison from places like that instead of at the grocery store. Honestly, um, I do think the grocery store may start to do a better job, but it's coming. So I don't know. Right now I think it's hit or miss. Those are really so. good tips. Thank you. Yeah. That's yeah. really helpful. <laughs> So anything in particular, as we're transitioning into spring, is there anything that you're really into cooking or eating right now? Oh gosh. I have been playing around right now with breakfast. I love breakfast. Breakfast is like my favorite meal of the day. Mm -hmm. And, um, I have been trying to incorporate bison into breakfast, which I, um, actually recently just published a cookbook. And so that is on my website of all the different ways and things you can make bison. I shouldn't say all of the ways, but all the ways that we as a Riffle family <laughs> um, prefer to make bison. So it's like 24 different recipes that you can use, but um, I've really been playing around with breakfast items. So bison in and of itself is kind of a sweet meat. So I love to, you know, pair it with sweet potatoes and eggs and kind of all fried up in a nice little bake in a big, you know, cast iron pan and um, so I've been playing around with that a lot. Um, the thing is that bison doesn't have a lot of fat in it, right? So you just have to, you just have to watch how you cook that and you can't overcook bison or else it becomes mm -hmm. pretty tough to eat. So that's kind of the, that's why there's some play with it. <laughs> it's cause it's, it's just, a, it's like chicken, you know, it's really easy to overcook chicken. Um, so, so it just takes a little bit of a finesse and a technique in the kitchen um, yeah. but yeah, we've been just been playing around with different flavors with it. Cause, um, cause it's got a fun flavor in and of itself. I feel like it's a little sweet, kind of like a hazelnutty taste to it. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of been my, that's kind of been my thing right now is bison breakfast. <laughs> so very nice. Is that what you had this morning? I did actually. Yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. I did. I did this morning, cut it with, um, a uh, pork sausage. So like with all that sage and stuff in it, um, just to kind of mix it, we've got some family in town. So it not only made a lot, which was nice, but it just gave it a little bit of a different flavor and then added a little bit of extra fat to it too. So, um, so yeah, so that was a good combo, but yeah. Well, where can people go to find 
and learn more about your farm and get your cookbook. Totally. So directly on our website, www.rifflefarms.com. You can learn all about us there and uh, you can definitely pick up a cookbook and there's an ebook too. So even if you don't want like, the print version um, or you just want to put it on your iPad or something like that, you can get that there. So well, yeah. congratulations on putting that together. That takes a lot of work. Yeah, the cookbook, yeah so. it was a lot of work. <laughs> well done. So, yeah. Well, and I always like to ask the person I'm chatting with um, if they could share just like one piece of health advice or health wisdom that they've learned along their journey to, with the listener that they could consider incorporating into their life. Um, what would that be? Is there one little tip that you can share with anyone that's listening to this conversation today? Yeah, I, to be honest with you, I go back to the know your farmer, gotta know your farmer. And if you do, and I feel like everything else just falls into place. So if you know where your food's coming from, yeah, hands down, that's the best way. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Liz. This was just a fantastic conversation. I'm really grateful that I learned more about bison because I think this is such a meat that more and more people are eating, um, mm. but they kind of don't know anything about. And so yeah, this was really good. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Starseed Kitchen podcast. For more Starseed Kitchen, visit our website at starseedkitchen.com and follow us on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Be sure to pick up a jar of my high vibration foods, organic spices, which you can purchase on starseedkitchen.com. And you can find me and follow along on my cooking adventures on all your favorite social media channels at Whitney Aronoff. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.